0: Friends, as we continue um, in our series in the book of Hebrews, um, reading roughly a chapter a week, I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament that we're not always familiar with where it's at, so if you get through First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and the one-pager Philemon, you'll find the book of Hebrews. If you find yourself in James or 1 and 2 Peter, you've gone a little bit too far. I need to go back to Hebrews chapter 4. And one thing that's helpful to know before we read this chapter, it seems to bounce around a little bit, and that's okay. It does make sense. And also, as we read the first 11 verses, it's all about this Sabbath rest and different things that are happening. And I invite you, as you read it, to remember that we want a specificity to what type of rest is being talked about that the author of Hebrews isn't as worried about. There might be points in those first 11 verses where you're like, is this talking about the practice of weekly Sabbath, of setting aside a day of rest? Is it talking about Israel needing to remember the historic Sabbath rest when they were delivered from slavery in Egypt, wandered the promised land, and entered into the rest of the promised land? Is it talking about the weekly, the historic remembrance? Or is it talking about the heavenly everlasting rest? Where after we die, we hear the words of Jesus, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness or your master's rest. Which one is it talking about? Well, it's kind of talking about all three. And often one or two at a time. The author of Hebrews assumes a very high understanding of the Old Testament. And so whether that's fair or unfair in our case, there's multiple allusions made to rest. And they're trying to be all tied together. Don't miss out on the weekly practice of rest, that your heart would get hardened, that you'd forget about the rest that God invites you into. And most of all, don't let your heart be hardened and led astray, that you miss out on the everlasting, eternal rest after we die. So that's one piece to hold on to. Don't get lost and wait. Which rest are we talking about? Just assume they're always talking about all three types of rest. The weekly, the historic remembrance of rest, and eternal rest. And that we're going to go from, well, rest to a couple verses about the word of God being living and active. And then we'll jump right on to Jesus as our high priest. When I first read this chapter, it seems a little scattered. But what we need to remember as we go into it is that it's a heart thing. This is a chapter that is inviting you to keep your hearts close to God, to not drift away, to not let your heart be hardened, but to rest to spend time in the word, and to remember Jesus as our high priest. This is a chapter that is interested in keeping our hearts close to God. So before we read Hebrews chapter 4 together, let's pray. Jesus, you give us the gift of light, for you are the light of the world. And in the same way that light can play with all of the beauty of stained glass windows and bring out the fullness of color and splendor within them, We pray that you shine your light upon the word and into our hearts today, that the fullness of the glory and splendor of your love for us, of your longing to be close to us, as written in Hebrews 4, may shine before us today. Play with your word with all the beauty of creation's light. Play with our hearts that you may fill them with light, even in the dark corners. Fill us with your light through the power of your word that is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, this we pray in the holy name of Christ our Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with all thanks to the Father. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a chapter about the heart. And there's some us and them language because we've already covered in chapter 3 those who were led astray, whose hearts were brought away by sin's deceitfulness, and they fell away, and they miss out on the rest that God intends So the us-them continues into chapter 4, and this whole thing about the priest will lead us right into chapter 5. And so what are we to do with this transitional chapter between where we're finishing up about this rest that God longs for us to have? Not because God wants to ruin our fun, but because God created us and knows that we need rest. We need a daily, we need a weekly day of rest. And maybe, occupationally, you have to work on Sundays sometimes, and so that can't always be Sunday. But there needs to be a day of rest where we practice setting aside and focusing on God. That weekly rhythm of setting aside a day reminds us of the rest that God invites us into and points us back towards the heavenly rest that eventually we rest from all of our labors, from all of our works, that we might enter into that heavenly rest. And the author of Hebrews wants to make sure that our hearts are not led astray in such a way that we miss out on the weekly, the remembering, or the eternal rest. It's a heart thing. It's not letting our hearts be hardened. It's not being led astray. It's making sure that our hearts are kept close to God. And... If it's a heart thing, we also get those verses about the Word of God being living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That this is where God comes to life within us, is when we spend time in His Word. Now, as we actually heard two really good answers, how often should we do these ordinary things of reading Scripture and praying? A lot. A lot is a great answer. And I wonder if we think about this being a heart thing, if this is about God keeping our hearts close, if we are to be fully immersed in our understanding of God's grace so that we do not fall away, that we need to have the thoughts and attitudes of our heart assessed by God, giving God space to speak into that. I wonder if we think about what our rhythms are like. Imagine with me, if you will, that your heart and soul are coffee grounds any coffee drinkers here none okay good three yeah okay yeah i guess that could have been rhetorical imagine that your heart and soul is coffee grounds right and this is not a sermon about caffeine addiction don't feel bad about that i'll give one of those closer to lent next year and i'll implicate myself in it too i suppose but you know i'll admit i always have my daily cup of coffee Oh, and did I bring... No. Didn't bring filters, but we can improvise. The water's not hot, though, so we won't be able to actually make a good cup of coffee. I love making my daily cup of coffee, and I usually do that with a pour-over, and you can make it with a coffee pot, too. But when we do that, imagine that your heart and soul is coffee grounds, however big your heart is. Hopefully it's not Grinch-sized, a little bit bigger than that. But imagine that your heart and soul is coffee grounds, and so you've got you're ready to go. And by itself, well, it's just waiting for something to happen to it. I'm actually use a little bit of this water. I didn't give myself much left over. But imagine, if you will, if your heart and soul is coffee grounds. Never mind. There's a water bottle in here. Thank you, Miss Rachel. Now I feel really bad about that age comment. Imagine if your heart and soul is coffee grounds and living water is Christ's Holy Spirit, delivered us to us by the word, by spending time in God's word. There should be a daily habit and rhythm to it. However, even though this is my standard way of making coffee every day, day after day, if we pour water through those grounds, we've made some coffee, but the contact is quick. It goes through fast and I would say always spiritually something is better than nothing but in this method the word passes through us really pretty quickly because we're on to the next thing because we live busy lives because our schedules are full it's good to get something better than nothing we need some time where our heart and soul made of coffee grounds is in contact with the water of God's word and spirit going through us but friends be careful To not altogether abandon making it but also be careful that the word isn't just passing through quickly and then you're on to the next thing that it is time that is set aside but it's time to permeate all of our lives that it's not a quick run through this is why for another example i would offer this method of coffee making as a way to think of god's word as living and active and getting into our hearts it's a french press Not a very expensive one. I bought it on vacation once because I forgot all my coffee filters and I really wanted to make my daily cup of coffee. What's different about this method, though, is that the water doesn't just pass through. You take your heart and soul made of coffee grounds and you get it ready, however big your heart is. And in this case, in this method, the water is just there blended with it. And we'll stir it up with a pen. There's not very much here. I forgot to grab one of those little stir sticks from downstairs. But in this case, that's not nearly enough coffee for the day. In this case, the grounds of our heart and soul are mixed in. They are stirred in with the word because there's no just passing through, no trickling effect. These are soaked. These are fully immersed in the same water. I invite us, if we're going to think about God's word as living and active and all of the things that God can do through the Holy Spirit when we spend time in the word, this is a good daily habit. But if we're talking about rest and getting in touch with God's word and all that it can do to reveal life in our hearts, I'd like you to think about how we completely immerse ourselves so that in this case, the grounds are inseparable from the water, that our hearts are so attuned to God's living word that we cannot separate them. We can't pull them apart anymore. What I like about this method of pour over, it's easy to clean up. When I'm done, I just throw this in the compost and it's simple and done. And maybe on a daily rhythm where we just need to keep moving through, that's okay because something is always better than nothing when it comes to scripture reading, prayer, and any spiritual discipline we endeavor to. But I wonder if some of this connection to Sabbath rest points us to a type where we need to be fully immersed. That our Sabbath rest is not just a day to be lazy, it is a day to partake in God's version of rest, which is where God wants to get really connected with our heart, and that we need to be fully immersed in it. And there's no separating this out and it's a little bit messier, it takes a little bit longer, but it makes a much richer cup of coffee where all of the flavors of the coffee get brought out and it is rich and good, but there's a little more mess to clean up. It takes a little bit longer. It takes a little bit more patience. Sounds a little bit like how reading scripture can be something quick that we're on our way, which is still something better than nothing but that sometimes we don't want to do this. Because maybe there's honestly some corners of our heart that we don't necessarily want to bring before God. When we read words in chapter four, verses 12 and 13, that it judges, it being the word of God, living and active, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We might say, you know what, there's some parts of my heart that I don't really, I don't really want to go into. There's this, the wording of verse 13 that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That can sound intimidating as well to think that we would have to give account to the one from whom nothing is hidden. That Jesus sees every corner of our heart. Sometimes I don't like to do this method because you end up with some grounds in your mouth get some of that bitter taste on accident. I think if we are fully immersed in God's word, where the power is living and active within us, it's going to bring some of those parts of our heart that are maybe a little bit bitter. And you know what? We want to hang on to that bitterness because whether we want to admit it or not, we have held on to our bitterness as part of our identity. And we would say that's the ways of the world. But we are also the same way. We hold on to a little bit of that bitterness because well, we can't quite give it up. Or maybe if we think about all creation, there's nothing hidden, that there's some things that are embarrassing to talk about with God, that we don't want to admit how easily distracted we are. Maybe we don't want to admit to God the things that we know in our heads that God already sees, but maybe uh, we don't want to talk about what we look at on our phone when nobody else is looking. We know that God sees all, but we'd rather just keep that in a darker corner of our heart. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword, penetrating even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This happens when we are fully immersed in God's Word. And unless you're a monk, I don't think you can do this every day. I think this type of scripture reading is the good daily rhythm, but that our Sabbath rest, is a time not just to rest from our labors, though that's a huge part of it. It is a time to be immersed, to spend time with God's word and listen for the Holy Spirit's leading so that we don't miss out on the bigger version of rest. Maybe we don't want to admit to God or talk too much with God about how easily discouraged we get or about our insecurities. There's all kinds of reasons that we want to hold on to some of these things ever so tightly. But this is where God says, please immerse your heart in my word, immerse yourself in my Holy Spirit's movement so that I can bring out the best in you. And yes, there's gonna be more mess to clean up. It's gonna be a little bit harder to, get, to keep the bitterness away, but let me work on that bitterness with you. Because when the best of us comes out, is when the worst of us is cleaned out. And this is God's word living and active within us and around us. And the best part is, if we go from rest to God's word being living and active, spend time fully immersed in it, when we think, man, that's going to be a lot of work. Because if I have to bring all of my heart, every past experience, every thought and attitude, every slightly judgmental moment that I've had, Maybe I don't want to do that. There's going to be more to clean up, but we don't clean it up on our own. We go from understanding that God's going to get every corner of our heart, and it's to Him whom we must give account, that nothing is uncovered. That's intimidating. But where do we then appeal? We appeal to the fact that we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, that Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. We appeal to Jesus to do this work with us because Jesus gets it because Jesus gets you. Jesus gets it because Jesus gets you. And so immerse yourself. And yes, It might be a little bit intimidating, but there is nothing to fear because Christ has overcome the world that we are told, even as we bring all of who we are before the throne of God's grace, even the embarrassing parts, the spots we would not admit that are in our heart that we don't even want to admit to our closest family or friends, those are the parts that God's like, nope, I want all of that too. I don't want my word to just pass through you. I want you to be soaked in it, baptized in it, And then we'll do that hard work of the heart work together. We will untie the knots of the grudges that you have, the anger that you have, the judgment that you have, the cynicism, the fear, the bitterness, the addictions, the lust. We will untie all of those knots together if you would but immerse yourself in my word. We do that together, and we appeal to God's throne of grace in our time of need that we can find what? Mercy and grace and how do we approach god's throne with embarrassment with shame no with confidence even as the worst parts of our heart are brought to the surface before almighty god we are still told to come to the throne of god's grace with confidence because it's not on our strength but it is to kneel at the cross and say god i know the gifts that you've given me that i'm not using to my fullest potential and well you know everything else about me too. And God says, come to me confidently because we will do that work together because we can't do it on our own. And reaching all the way back to Genesis, God looks at you and says, not only am I never going to leave you or forsake you, I want you to be immersed in my word so that we can do this work together. I don't want you to have to do it on your own either. Reaching all the way back to Genesis when God saw Adam and said, you know, it's not good that he's alone. We were meant to live in community. And that's not about marital status. That is single, married, divorced, widowed. We live our life of faith in the communion of saints because Jesus gets it. Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted alone. And Jesus says that we are not meant to be alone. We do this work with God, but we do it in the communion of saints. This is a simple thing. It's the ordinary stuff, but it's setting aside the right time for the right reasons, that we can do all of the right things with God as our help and as our strength. Jesus wants all of you, every corner of your heart like a stained glass window so that all of him may shine through all of you. And sometimes we're a little bit brighter than others, sometimes a little bit dimmer than others but we are told to approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. In the same way, we approach God's table with confidence. In the same way that our Sabbath rest is a weekly practice of remembering the greater rest that is to come. So when we come to communion, it is a small reminder, a pledge and foretaste of the greater meal that is to come. We come here to remember that God gives us our daily bread and will continue to nourish and sustain us until one day we will be gathered at a much larger table with a much larger banquet. And this is the good news of the gospel. And as we are gathered at that table, there will be bread that everybody can eat because there's no food allergies in heaven. And we will share of a cup. And I read in the gospels that Jesus makes really good wine and we will gather with the same cup that everyone can drink because there will be no addictions or temptations. Rather, we will partake of all the good gifts that God has given us when we enter into his perfect rest. So friends, this day we come in remembrance of what God has done for us, remembering even now that Christ invites us to come to his throne of grace with confidence. We come in remembrance that Jesus lived for us, died for us, and rose again for us. We come in remembrance and also communion. That if we are to grow in Christ, we must abide with him. Just as a fruit cannot grow if it is disconnected from the vine, we are to commune with Christ, fully immersed in his spirit, that we may grow in him. And not only between us and God, but together is the communion of saints. That we share this table with those who have come before, with those who will come after, and with all who we partake today. We come in remembrance of Christ, in communion with Christ and the the saints, and we come in hope because we need not look far to know that the world is not all as it should be. And we come to this pledge and foretaste, this preview and promise of the great heavenly banquet that is to come, that on that day Christ will give to us eternal and perfect rest and a seat at the table of the saints.